That seems to make some sense because we call a fireman a fireman because he fights fires, right? So in some sense, he is what he does. We call a policeman a policeman, next, because he polices. And to go to a negative example, you can go to the next one, Justin. This poor sad fellow is a felon because he committed a felony, right? He's a criminal because he committed crimes. So there is some truth to the fact that you are what you do. This is a great quote from Perot. I'm not going to read it all. I haven't used it in a couple of years, and I wanted to use it again. You know, my wonderful wife got me a collection of his works, and he has this great line, that the most willfully foolish man cannot stand aloof from his folly, but the deed and the doer together make ever one sober fact. I had to explain this to my son when he wanted to be the class clown. I'm like, it's not just something you do. You are becoming a type of person. Right? So you can't be an idiot all the time and not have people think you're not an idiot. You know, the famous line from Forrest Gump, stupid is as stupid does. If you do stupid stuff all the time, people are going to think you're a stupid person. If you do good stuff all the time, people might just think you're a good person. But is that who you are ultimately? Are you going to stand before God and say, look at all the good stuff I did? Is that who you are? And I'm actually going to disagree with Thoreau and say, no, we define people by their actions because that's the best judgment that we can make. That's as much as we can see. But God sees more. If you could peek deeper, you would judge people by their heart. Uh, in the Old Testament, thank you, Justin, there's a story where the prophet Samuel, who's an awesome prophet, he's not a slouch, he's not stupid, you know, he doesn't you know, fall down on the job. He's dependable, as prophets go. God says, I'm going to send you to this guy named Jesse, and we're going to pick the next king, okay? Because I've got somebody in mind who's one of his sons, he didn't tell him which one, that's going to be the king. And so Samuel goes to pick a king, right? God has a certain type of person in mind, and Samuel sees, I think it's Jesse's oldest son, and he's like, this has to be it. The guy's, you know, probably 6'5", like got a tan, like gigantic shoulders, you know what I mean? Looks regal, he's a specimen, and Samuel's like, this has got to be the guy. And he gets rebuked. Samuel doesn't get rebuked often, but God says this, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. This works for physical appearance, but it also works for our actions. There's a verse in the Bible that disturbs me. Uh, I think it's Galatians 6.2. It's not in the slideshow, but you can check me if you have the Blue Letter Bible app. It just says this every week. It says, God is not mocked. Ooh, you can put one over on people, but not God. He always sees who we really are. Look at this disturbing proverb. Thank you, Justin. Proverbs 23, 6-7. Do not eat the bread of a miser. Other translations say a selfish man. Nor desire his delicacies. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. Let's unpack this just, just for a second. You show up at this guy's house, okay? You're five minutes early because you want to be polite, and everything's already ready, all right? The table is set. He doesn't just have bread. He also has delicacies. He has some stuff there that is super tasty that you want to eat. It has taken preparation. The table looks good. There's a welcoming atmosphere. There's probably a couple of Yankee candles burning in the corner. And you sit down, and the guy says, eat, 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 and he's encouraging you. 
This has taken effort. This has taken some doing, right? I mean, he hasn't just prepared. He's set quite the table. And the, the writer of, of Proverbs is saying, don't be fooled by all those actions. They do not define him. He's a miser. None of that stuff can define him. He can't be generous, even though he himself might think he is. Even as he sits there as a miser, he might say, look what a generous person I am. I did all this work. I set this huge table. I'm encouraging this guy to eat. I don't know what else I could do to be generous. All the while, some translations say he's calculating the cost. He can't help but be what he is. He's hoping you don't eat too much. And the verse goes on to say, you will vomit out the morsel you've eaten and waste your compliments. He's a miser. Don't be fooled. I think sometimes we might fool ourselves and think we're generous, but I jump ahead of myself. All right. Has anybody ever bought one of these? This is a great analogy. I can't believe I'm using this. All right, everybody. So you go to Costco, where I like to go, and I get the power greens, right? It's like this huge bag of like spinach and kale and chard and all that stuff. It's super great. Can't believe the price. And it looks good, right? Everything about it. The packaging looks good. The leaves on the outside look good. And you pass judgment on this one bag of salad. You know, you inspect it, and your judgment is, this is good bag of salad. So you put it in your cart. You get home, you open it up, only to realize that the middle is a soggy, slimy, nasty wad of goo. And your judgment changes. This is bad bag of salad, right? Just that quick. So the heart is like opening the bag of salad. The actions are like what the salad looks like. And then who you really are, who I really am, is what it's like on the inside. There is a good corollary, by the way, and that would be a geode. Anybody ever found one of these? I've never found one in my life, and I've looked. I used to break rocks open. You have found one, Leonard? Of course you found one, Leonard. <laughs> I was breaking rocks in my backyard for hours, and I couldn't find one. But a geode is special because it just looks like a rock. It's not bad. I mean, we're not talking about a bad rock. It looks normal, okay? Incredibly ordinary until you break it open and you find just an array of color and crystals that you would have had no idea were there if you just looked at the outside. We can be like that too. So there's a little bit of encouragement here. So who are you really? You're not what you believe and you're not even really what you do. You are the motivations of your heart. I am the motivations of my heart. Let's just think about that for a minute. If you're not what you do, and if you're the motivations of your heart, this means you can fool people. The miser is fooling people. I think sometimes we're the miser, and we try really, really hard to fool ourselves. Justin didn't know my message uh, when he decided to take inventory during worship of our hearts. We do that too few times. I don't think most of us do that enough. Because if we were to sit still with the Lord and contemplate the motivations of our hearts, we might discover some rotten salad, which is what we're afraid of, and we might discover a geode, which is what we hope for, but we don't know which one is which. But unless you take the time, you'll never know. So I want to encourage all of you, take the time to look at your heart. This isn't my clothes. This is like clothes number 1A. <laughs> but seriously, if it's something that you are ashamed of, 
all right? If you don't know why, you just looked at pornography, got drunk, got high, blew up at work, lost your temper, whatever. Don't stop at being ashamed of what you just did. Take courage, get with the Lord, go off by yourself, and ask God why. What is a motivation in here that I might not be seeing that is causing this horrible fruit? And you might be surprised. You may even be relieved. Because once you know, it can be dealt with. Make sense? Yep. Awesome. So, analyze the motivations of your heart because that is who you really are. Because of that, your heart decides whether or not what you do is virtuous. Your heart decides whether or not what you do is virtuous. Now, I'm not saying we can redeem wrong actions because doing the wrong thing is always wrong, right? doesn't matter if you have good intentions. Sorry, it's the wrong thing. But a poor motivation of your heart can make good-looking things rotten salad. Let's look at the book of James. James talks a lot about faith versus works, right? We talked about this last week. And uh, he's like, it doesn't just matter what you believe, you know, with, with your head. That's like a corpse of faith. You can't call head knowledge faith because it doesn't have the breath of life in it. It's not up around moving and doing stuff. So you have to have belief and you have to have action. That proves that your faith is alive. But he also says your actions have to be motivated by the right heart. We talked a little bit about this last week, but here's an excellent clump of verses that, that shows all of these things in action. James, I almost said Galatians. What's going on? James 3, 13 to 16. Who among you is wise and understanding? Now he's fishing for somebody to say, me. James is five chapters of rebuke. It is hard, right? The guy is not writing to pat you on the back and tell, everything, tell you everything is fine. It's like one of the hardest hitting, most relentless books in the Bible, in my opinion, right? So this is not a, like a question, like wondering, like how many of you would you say, just out of curiosity, just show of hands, five, ten, okay, that's good. He's trying to make a point. He wants someone to say, me, I'm that guy. I'm wise and understanding. Because he knows he's writing to some people that think they are. So he says, who has the right head? Who has the right thoughts? Who among you thinks he's got the belief thing straightened out? You're wise and full of understanding. And somebody, Joe in the back, is like me. I'm that guy. I'm full of wisdom and understanding. It's all right upstairs. So he moves on. Let that person, Joe in the back, who just raised his hand, show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. Prove your head is right by doing something right in the gentleness of wisdom. And now Joe might take a step back and say, uh, gentleness, I'm sorry, I don't know what, uh, gentleness, we don't, I, I don't understand. I've got wisdom and understanding. You didn't mention gentleness. And James is ready for that. Now he hits him with the left hook, which is this. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, which is Joe in the back. I hope that there's not a Joe in the back, is there? Okay, good. <laughs> if that's you, don't be so arrogant. Arrogant as to what? Arrogant as to think you're the guy with wisdom and understanding. Because you're lying against the truth. Your head is not right and your actions are not right. If your heart is not right. James knows he's writing to some people who are motivated to look out for number one and that's about it. And he says if all you have is ambition and jealousy and you think you're wise, you're arrogant and you're actually lying against the truth. 
And he says, you might think you're wise, but I know where you got this idea that you're smart. And he says in the next verse, this wisdom, the stuff that Joe in the back thinks he's got, is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural. Ooh, what's the next word? Demonic. Come on, James. Easy. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. person thinks he's got his head straight. He thinks his actions are appropriate. And James says, you are full of, you've been tainted by the world in the way you're thinking. That's the only reason you think you're okay. From my vantage point, you're all wrong from the bottom up. Because your heart is wrong. He alludes to this right at the beginning of his book in James 1.27, which is a famous verse. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God our Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their distress. We like that one. That's doing something, right? And then to keep oneself unstained by the world. Unless he means grape juice. <laughs> and like baby puke or something. That's talking about your heart. You have to take care of these people. Visit the widows and the orphans. But you have to do it out of a heart that is not tainted by the world. You can't think you're doing the right thing because you have demonic wisdom. I can't believe he actually said that. But it's in the Bible. That's wild, man. Guard your heart. That determines whether or not what you're doing, even if it looks like the right thing, is actually admirable. Jesus thought the same thing. Matthew 5, 19-20, Jesus has sat down on the mountain. He's got a bunch of people. He's opening up the Sermon on the Mount. I think he knew this was going to be on his Greatest Hits album, right? So it was probably a big day for him. Hope that's not sacrilegious, Lord. Sorry. And then he says, don't think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. He's, I, basically, he says, I really support that. You know, it's kind of my idea. And then he says this, I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. All this law talk, and then Jesus telling them they had to do a better job at keeping the law than the people who were doing the best job at keeping the law, might lead them to think they had to just do a bunch of right things. But he immediately launches into the six, you've heard it said, but I tell you, which aim at the heart. How do you have a greater righteousness than the scribes and Pharisees? Well, they agree that you shouldn't murder someone, but if you want to do what I'm talking about, you won't even be wrathful or angry at someone. They are pretty good at not sleeping around on their wives, right? But if you want to surpass their righteousness, you will not have lust in your heart. He makes this command to be better, and then goes straight to the heart. Ignore to what? No, not doing it. I don't know. I don't know why. I'm sorry. It's the weather. Matthew 7, 21 to 23. This is how he ends the Sermon on the Mount. This is, okay, the second ending. We have the house built on the sand and the house built on the rock next. But this is creepy, is it not? Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. So we think he's going to talk about doing more right stuff. But he doesn't. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do all the right stuff? Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice 
lawlessness. Do you know what he just got done talking about in Matthew 7? He just got done talking about the false prophets that look like sheep, but on the inside are ravenous wolves. These people who look like they've got it all together, they're doing the right stuff, even fantastic stuff. And Jesus says, when they come before me and tell me what they did, I will look at their hearts and say, I never knew you. The motivations of your heart, of my heart, I keep saying yours, I apologize. I'm not exempt. Believe me. You don't get to preach a message like this without God beating you up with it yourself. It's just true. We are not exempt from our hearts determining who we really are and whether or not what we do is virtuous or not. That's the standard. Paul said it this way. Actually, this is me. Paul's next. <laughs> Sorry about that. Christianity isn't about believing in the right stuff and putting on a good show. We're supposed to think and act like Jesus because we are, in fact, like Jesus. That is the goal. The goal isn't necessarily believing all the right stuff, although please do believe the right stuff. And the goal isn't necessarily doing a bunch of good stuff, but please do a bunch of good stuff. The goal is to become like Jesus. That's the task. Now, Paul, Philippians 2, 2 to 5, I had to go here. Paul says, make my joy complete. This is what would make me really happy. I've traveled the world, I've suffered, I've been shipwrecked, I've been flogged, I've been stoned. Do you want to know what I really want? I really want you to make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. He's talking about the heart they should have. Do not merely look out for your own interests, your own personal interests, but also look out for the interests of others and have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Do you want to know what would make this old missionary who's been abused for years and years and years really happy? Just be like Jesus. And you just do that, we can boil it down to that. That is a tough thing to ask. But that is the only thing to ask. I couldn't avoid using an analogy of the truth. As, as I wrote the message and wrote the message, I didn't think I was going to do a cheesy song or anything like that. But I knew I was going to use a tree. Because when I started thinking about the heart, I couldn't help but think that the, heart's, the heart has to be the roots of the tree. You know, I don't know where the deeds fit in necessarily. Like, we could argue about what the fruit is. That's not important. Focus on the one analogy I'm trying to make. The heart has to be the roots, right? Because that determines whether or not the tree's going to be good. The life is in the roots, you know what I mean? Our heart is like the roots of our tree. And then I thought, that's not the whole story. Because the roots get nutrients from the dirt. So the dirt that surrounds the tree determines whether or not that tree can be optimally healthy or die. If you want to kill a plant, you don't have to buy a, a syringe, right? And get herbicide and inject the herbicide right into the plant. What do you do? You just kind of sprinkle it on the ground. Why does that work? Because the roots are made to suck up whatever is around in the dirt and bring it into the tree. This is why we have to be careful, as the Bible says, to guard our hearts above all else, for everything we do flows from it. Proverbs 4.23, good and bad. 
So I briefly want to ask you, what is in your dirt? What are you surrounding yourself with that your heart, like hungry roots, is sucking right into the core of who you are? You know, I like to play Diablo 3 every now and then. I admit it, it's fine. I don't, amen, preach. I don't think that makes me a sinner. But, you know, video games always? Guys, but are we, if, if you're arguing about how much horrifically violent video games you can play per day, I mean, if we're talking about, like, is four hours too much or is six hours too much, I might argue that the soil is going to get out of whack, okay? Like, I like hard rock. I do. I admit it again. I'm just the worst, aren't I? I'm a terrible pastor. But all the time? No. Man, if you're only listening to, like, machine gun drums and, like, distortion and screaming all the time, your soil is going to get out of whack. Sometimes you need worship music. Sometimes, this is crazy, you need nothing. Are we getting plenty of quiet? Man, I like political commentary. I know you do too. We're not talking about which kind. Don't worry about it. That's not the point. My point is this. Always, 24 hours a day, my wife yells at me sometimes. So I have a podcast going in my back pocket. And she's so gentle. She's like, I hate it when you do that. <laughs> Didn't realize it was still on. Sorry, baby. <laughs> That's a good reminder. You know? Amen. I love you, Nicole. She's downstairs. Guys, we have to be careful. You got to keep that soil balanced. You know what I mean? Don't put evil stuff in your dirt. Avoid putting too much of any one thing in your dirt. And put plenty of fertilizer in your dirt for the good of your heart, for the good of who you are at your core. Now, at the risk of preaching a whole other message, I'll just close with this. Would you guys like to know what I think two miracle fertilizers are for the health of your heart? Two things you can put in your dirt that I, you know what, I've been trying to think of a situation in which these two things won't help, and I can't think of one. If you need to know, if you have a hard time viewing sinners in a healthy way, if you're too judgmental, you know what I mean? This will help. If you have a hard time viewing yourself in a healthy way, this will help. If you're struggling with a sin, this will help. If you're just absolutely overjoyed with life and you're just like brimming over with giddiness, this will also help you not be annoying for people that are not going through that type of awesome situation. Here are the two things. Gratitude and humility. If you don't know what else to do for the good of your heart. And you know, I was praying before, before I talked and I was like, Lord, I, this is an okay message, but what do you really want me to say? And I felt like the Lord said, you know, just encourage people that they are not helpless against the motivations of their heart. Because I feel like there's some people that know all too well what's going on in here. And they're like, this is like trying to like push a tsunami away with my bare hands. It's like there's nothing I can do. Like there's so much junk, there's so much darkness. There might even be so much like evil that I actually hate. And yet the motivation of my heart is like a tide that I'm carried away on. You know what? You are not powerless. You have the Holy Spirit. Take a deep breath. He loves you. There is grace. There is forgiveness. Narrow it down to adding these two things. Gratitude to God for everything he's done for you and everything he's promised to do for you. And humility. Remember to think of yourself as you are. Not too highly and not too low. You're redeemed. There's hope. Not just for you, but for everyone else. Gratitude and humility. 
are two great fertilizers for a healthy heart so that you will not be a rotten bag of salad when you stand before God on Judgment Day. Does that sound good? Amen. Here's Leah to close. Thank you, guys.